This is Conversation of the Birds, a story set to music. New chapters released weekly. Written, composed, and read by Jamie Holcomb. You're listening to The Second Valley. It's one thing to believe in yourself against impersonal obstacles, but what happens when someone determines to stand against you? Our birds are stirring up the energies of the world, and they are aggravating some fierce opponents. A villain lurks in their midst, and their quest has begun in earnest. Let's listen. Let's find out what our birds are up against in The Second Valley. While our birds were flying eastward, far below them, nestled in the swampy verdure of the next deep dell, in her castle on the banks of the River of Mud, the Queen of Dogs was angry. Squatting atop her mud-mound throne, with a grin of tight fangs stuck fast throughout her jowly jaw, the Queen listened to everything the woodpecker had to say. At the center of the Queen's court, that rust-plumed traitor sat atop a log of moldering willow lodged in a mire. Occasional toads and insects skittered up that decaying trunk, and on these the woodpecker feasted between words. They say he's their new king, and that's the god's honest truth, said the woodpecker through a mouthful of toad mucus. The queen drummed her stubby paw pads atop her mound. Really, she sneered through her teeth. Well, this won't do. We have an order to maintain here. These traitors are a threat to our truth. You said it, said the woodpecker. I am the ruler of this world, the dog queen said. My word is law, and no king will question me. Together with the woodpecker, the queen of dogs conspired to make an example of those treacherous birds who dared to quest in her dominion. She was afraid of what a being as powerful as the smurg might mean for her. And so they flew further east, unaware of the dangers lurking ahead. The first valley and its obscuring cloud mass now behind them, the birds were flying over an orange plain, peppered with blue bushes and crimson-capped cacti. The arid plain made for smooth sailing. In that easy glide, each bird turned into himself and his own thoughts. The vulture, in particular, began to daydream. He had relegated himself to the back of the crowd. Yes, he'd chosen himself to fly behind the others. Where they want me, he mused, out of sight, out of mind. The round bodies of some particularly plump geese rose before him like rippling clouds, and the vulture had to smack his beak. There are virtues to bringing up the rear, he chuckled to himself. Oh, but now I am starving. He rolled a black eye downward to scan that sparse landscape below him. It wasn't long before he spotted something large, black, and still. Most birds would have ignored the smell, if they even noticed it, but the putrid stench that now filled the air to the vulture was like a deep drink of wine. He spun, and spiling downward, he left the flock to continue eastward without noticing the vulture's absence. That grisly bird had perched on the horn of a great ox. Tongue lolling, she had lain here just long enough to stiffen, and her great belly had swollen with toxifying gases. If they could see themselves like this, said the vulture, they'd have no questions about magic birds. They'd reconsider all their song and dance. He chuckled to himself and began to thrust out his head and yak in his throat. A spray of black vomit burst from his beak all over the cow. Her flesh dissolved in the tar. A voice said, Good Eden? The vulture turned to see the buzzard, his smaller cousin, land on the arm of a long cactus. Sharing's caring cousin, the buzzard said. He cocked his pink turkey-like head to consider the cow. Sure she's still good? Just right, said the vulture, but are you sure it's wise for you to stop? I doubt those stubby wings will be able to catch up to the others, especially once your stomach is swollen. 
you let me worry about me, said the buzzard. Besides, who says I'm anxious to go back? They like uh, me about as much as they like you. Less, I'm sure, said the vulture. At least they let me play the part of the villain. You, on the other hand, have no clear allegiances. One minute you're with them chasing daydreams, the next you're down here with me. Nothing's wrong with all it. Nothing's wrong with helping out Mother Nature, said the buzzard. He flapped down to stand beside the ox. He looked to the vulture, who sighed and turned his head up in disdainful consent. The buzzard sank his hook into the stake. Isn't this necessary, said the vulture to his feasting cousin. Indeed, is not this scene in which we are participating the final episode of life, the intended ending of all things? It's sacred. His voice had begun to tremble, and so he fell silent to look off wistfully along the orange expanse of dust, where the solitary plant life of the desert, each an entity unto itself, stood stoically guarding their shares of secret water. They'll never understand us, said the vulture softly. It was then that the speck came into view. On the horizon, some form was fast approaching, a speck that split apart as it grew. The buzzard lifted his bloody beak from the ox and cocked his head. Without turning to see, he knew the sound. Hyenas, he said, through a mouthful of meat. In a moment, the pack was upon them. Well, well, said the grinning devil at the head of the body of dogs, and all of his comrades snickered. Chow time's over, boys. The hyena lunged at the buzzard, who flapped and jumped atop the cow's head to cower behind his big cousin. Have you no manners, said the vulture, and he spread his great wings to cast a shadow over the dog and the precious meat before him. <laughs> Have you no manners, said the vulture, and he spread his great wings to cast a shadow over the dog and the precious meat before him. Is that seriously what that fucking says? Have you no manners, said the vulture, and he spread his great wings. First come, first serve. Oh, is that the rule? The hyena mocked surprise and looked around to his lackeys, ten dogs who were pacing up behind him. Well, we had no idea, did we, boys? Excuse our ignorance. He turned back to the vulture and cut a vicious grin. The only rule I'd ever heard was survival of the fittest. Ain't that true, boys? The chorus of hyenas cackled in agreement. While the vulture countered the hyena's taunts and the buzzard cowered behind him, the company of aviators navigated their way across that harsh plain. The ibis read the contours of the earth and he indicated to the hubo how they might find that next depth of valley. Here the sand dunes rose and rumbled and the world became more wrinkled with the varied hues of earth. You're getting close, the ibis implied through the nodding of his beak. The hummingbird flew close behind the hubo over his left shoulder while the ibis droned to the leader's right. Could we just fly straight across it, said the hummingbird. When we see the next valley, do we need to dive down? I suspect we won't be able to glide, said the hobo. The air will change, and whatever's lurking underneath is something we're meant to encounter. The ibis nodded. The ridges in the sand are pathways into mystery, and every pattern in your path is a magic dance. Your movement's a hieroglyphic incantation that opens portals into the unknown, the ibis indicated. Now all the while the birds had flown, the sun had rolled along the sky, over their heads, to fall into the fires of night a burst of orange that would soon smolder like a dying ember. The sun cast the world in its setting rays. Dusk rose before the birds. It was as if this sunken portal in the earth were born from that progressing darkness, for the orange sands gave way to the obfuscating mud of the dell. When the rains fell, they fed into the webs that rounded the dunes, and that parched earth drank so deeply of the dear water that it transformed here along the great slope the earth sank into mud. Even the air seemed to be pulled into that vacuous mouth of the mire. 
Down, the hobo said softly as he regarded the impenetrable darkness of the muddy dell. He looked to the ibis, and that great bird did not even turn his head from his course. Down, the hobo cried, and he dove straight into the blackness. There her army lay in wait, all coated in mud they had hidden in the earth so well. The diving hobo thought the sudden gleam that that sparked out of the ground was some mineral catching the last ray of sunlight at the right angle, or perhaps it was a luminescent insect just waking to its night work. He flew straight towards the shine that became a dozen daggers, and the hobo swerved at the sudden realization of these teeth. A fur rose behind him, howls and shrieks, gleeful dog barks and disparaging bird calls. The hobo turned to see the onslaught of the dogs as those vicious mongrels tore apart the flock of birds. Hide the ibis said by rocketing past the hobo. The hummingbird, the dove, and the little sparrows and chirping passerines flew after the ibis while the hobo hesitated. He had to watch. The eagle and the albatross, the kite, the crane, and all the claw-taloned, razor-beaked brothers of the company of birds. Those warriors sawed apart the beasts, plucking eyes, slashing snouts. The dogs whimpered and cowered as they retreated. A jaw arose, and the hobo had an instant to flap free of its knives. A black jet smashed into the muddy dog, sending it redly into the earth where the brute lay still. The crow looked up from the corpse. Where do we go, he said to the hobo. And the pink and that pink leader yelled and flapped after the ibis hide. The swamps of this sunken valley revealed shaggy willows and twisted myrtles crouching over the muddy bone. To these trees the birds took, bat-like, to hide in silence, each bird holding his breath and listening to the battle, the cries and yelps, howls and screeches of the warriors. The sparrows wept. All throughout their hidden camp in the treetop, the hooper heard. In sibilant hushes, the word disaster. Soon the sound of warfare fell into silence, and slowly, bird by bird, the red-stained fighters flew out of the ember of sunset on tattered wings. The resolute hawks and kites, the somber stork and his platoon of swordsmen, the battle crows and talon-bearing birds of the night, all who were left swooped into the shadows of the treetops. And the singer's keening filled the second valley all throughout. Even in the halls of the muddy palace, the creatures of the earth heard the misery of the birds. What now, said the dove. She cooed her morning song. What now? All eyes like fireflies. Yes, that's what the hobo saw as these jewels gleamed in every shade of color. All the hidden birds turned their mutual gaze on him, the bird whom nature had crowned. And he sang. We must keep going, said the hobo then. I know that now. To give up our quest... If any of you wish to return home, you are all free to do so. I wouldn't ask anyone to come further. I wouldn't ask anyone to come further into darkness. But if we give up now, if we say right here that this is not worth all that suffering, then we have lost everything. Will we be saying that the smirk is meaningless? A cry arose among the birds. Who could care about that fantasy? There's no such thing. Those deaths were a fact. And we're back where we started. Deeply, his voice rose out of the darkness. In their distress, no one had noticed the two black birds appear on the fringes of their camp. The hobo hung his head. He had no argument in the wake of their loss. They were less. They were less than forty now, the company of birds, and there was no arguing with that fact. However, the vulture said, something has been called to my attention. I feel it unquestionably now, down to my bones. I feel it so truly now. What those dogs did, that was not right. 
There's no honor in ambush, said the kite. All's fair in war, said the buzzard. The stork laughed so loudly that all the birds jumped. No, he said to the bewildered buzzard. I don't think so, my friend. I don't think that's true at all. They sat in silence then, all together, each bird looked to his own thoughts. The songbirds whimpered for those whom they'd lost. The fighters remembered their moment of valor, and the hoopoe, in the colors of his mind, he imagined what the smirk might say. But it was the vulture who spoke first. Now is the time to fly, my friends. Fly fast out of this place. Leave the dead to me. You're despicable, said the hoopoe. Agree to disagree, sir, said the vulture. Go, while the monsters are sleeping, fly into the plains beyond this valley, because I am going to bury our dead, and any dog who tries to take them from me is going to find out just how much the ceremonies of my sacred duty mean to me. He bowed to the hoopo, and turning to the buzzard beside him, he said, We have work to do. Together those black birds vanished. Then each bird in her own way, by his own decision, driven by the curiosity of crows and the bravery of birds of prey, guided by the insights of the ibis and the imagination of the hoopo, they flew, what was left of the forty birds darted one by one into the dark sky, and the cool air of autumn felt like a warm bath. This has been Conversation of the Birds, a story set to music, with new chapters released weekly, written, composed, and read by Jamie Holcomb, produced by Supermoon. Join us next week for our next installment. If you'd like to check out more from Supermoon, visit us on TikTok or at our website, gosupermoon.com. That's G-O-S-U-P-E-R-M-O-O-N.com. The quest continues next week. <laughs>